peace of Christ to you all uh, two or three times. So we're in this uh, series on the grace of God, you know, just of, of God's love for us that is not dependent on what we do or who we are. Yeah, we've been using that definition of grace that there's absolutely nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. It's a radical statement, isn't it? Especially on a day right after people took guns and just shot them indiscriminately. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Now, certainly what we can do is wrong, evil, but there's nothing we can do to make us God love us less. Scandalous grace. That's the, the scandal of grace that we've been talking about. How is this grace real in an age of terror? How is this real? How, how do a people live according to this kind of scandalous grace? It's not a new thing for the church to do this. Uh, what we're going to look at in, in Peter uh, today, uh, he, he writes this, this letter to the, to the church during a time when the church was facing greater terror and evil. Even than we feel today. He wrote this sometime in the 50s or 60s. And um, Nero was the emperor during that day. And Nero was not a nice guy. Um, if you um, read, you'll see that uh, Peter says he wrote this from Babylon. Well, Babylon really was a code word for Rome. Where Nero is hanging out. Peter, you know, the story with Peter is that he was crucified. And that uh, one of the stories is that he refused to be crucified like Jesus, so they crucified him upside down. And the thought is that Nero's the one that did that. So Peter's writing this letter in the midst of, from the place that he's going to be crucified upside down uh, while Nero is emperor. Now, now Nero, one of the stories about Nero that goes, and this is a long time ago, and you can get into arguments with historians as to what exactly was happening, but this is what one of the historians of the day, Tacitus, he wrote about this and said that Nero was known as one, uh, when he got angry with his wife who was pregnant, he kicked her, uh, killing both the baby and her. Uh, when Nero had some things against Christians and some of the things that supposedly he did was he, he took Christians and he tied raw meat to them and then he threw them into a pack of dogs. As I already told you about what supposedly he did with Peter and, and the other story is that he would take uh, Christians and make living light posts out of them by igniting their bodies on fire and sticking them on stakes um, throughout the, the land. That was what Nero was doing. That was going on to Christians at that time. And in that day, Peter is writing to his people to be stewards of God's grace. So it's in a season of terror that Peter is saying we are to be deliverers of grace. So, so he's got a word for us that, that in, in the the terror of his day applies for us in the terror of our day. 
It's First uh, Peter um, chapter four, starting with verse seven, um, on page nine eighty five in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. Let's let's pray together. Almighty God, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those that have gone before us. We, we thank you for the, the grace of Jesus that you continue to communicate now. And may your Holy Spirit speak to us. You know, open our eyes and our ears. Awaken our souls. That we hear from you. We receive from you. Uh, that we don't... Uh, want to just be stuck in the, the same way that we, we do things. We, we know we are not all you want us to be, so we want to be more who you want us to be, to really to be that, the stewards of your grace, the, the ones who deliver your grace. So don't just speak to our minds, speak to our soul. Don't just speak to one of us, speak to all of us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, First uh, Peter chapter four, uh, starting with verse seven. The end of all things is near. So that I'll give you a hint. Things aren't doing too well in Peter's life. You know, things are really messed up. That's what I just told you. It's probably going on. Therefore, be serious. And discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so the first thing that he said, all right, so things are falling apart. He's in an age of terror. What is the first thing that he talks about is our prayer life. He says, be sober-minded is another word that, be, be serious, be disciplined about your prayer life. Be controlled. Pray, because you're not going to live according to grace in an age of terror because you're strong and smart and good. It's not going to happen by your own powers. It just doesn't matter what the plan is. It, it doesn't matter just what, what's going on. It's only by God's work in you that you're going to be a people, that we're going to be a people who are stewards of the multicolored grace of God in a world of terror. It's only going to happen if God does it through us in the power of His Holy Spirit. So the first thing he says to his people, man, be disciplined, be focused, be serious about your prayer life. So, how are we doing on that? You know, how, how are you doing in your prayer life? You don't have to say anything out, out loud or anything, but grace abounds. So just be honest with yourself. How you doing in your own prayer life, in your own time of being alone with God? 
whether you journal or you're silent or you're talking, whatever it is, how are you doing in your time with the Lord? Are you serious and disciplined about it? It's important in order to prepare to be ready for an age of terror. I meet with a number of ministers regularly, um, uh, and you know it's one of the great things we do is we ask each other, "How you doing? You know, how's your prayer life going?" So at least I know that morning before we meet, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Maybe some of you have the same. And, and it, but it's good that, that folks are there and that we're asking each other. And we can be open and honest with each other because, man, we're open and honest. I mean, we tell all kinds of stories, things I'd never say up here. <laughs> because we're just, you know, broken human beings. But we're there to help, encourage, and challenge one another to say, how's your prayer life going? I mean, if you're really about being a minister of the gospel, I mean, you, we've got to be serious and disciplined about it. No, that, that is the case for all of us. So, I mean, so we're, we're all big boys and girls here, right? I mean, we can be open and honest and we can speak to ourselves in the grace of God saying, how is your prayer life? And if it's not good, well, what needs to happen to make it? One where it is disciplined, where it do, is serious. How do you, you, get with, you know, get with a friend or a couple of friends, just like these guys, you know? That's just really helpful. You know, you've done it. We do small groups and we have those kind of challenges and stuff. You know, it's just always good that we're going to get together and ask each other how we're doing in a spirit of grace because we know we're broken people. And the age of terror is upon us. So we, we need to do what is necessary so that, that we are tapping into the God of grace so that we live according to grace. So it's not going to happen uh, by us being good enough or smart enough or nice enough. It's gonna, only going to happen with the power of God alive within us. We've got to pray, first and foremost, that God's scandalous grace will be real in me towards others. You've you got to be constantly asking God, make your scandalous grace real. You know, we have a missionary family that lives in Paris. Won't use their, their name just because this goes on the internet and you never know what might happen. Uh, hopefully I'll remember to say it later um, when we're not taping. But this missionary family has a number of children that live with them. They they live about 20, 23 miles just outside of Paris. But they sent an email just around to all the churches and people that support them. uh, Because they are working in Muslim world. They are working in... matter of fact, they live in the most Islamic neighborhood next to the largest mosque in France. And they, they serve God through a ministry of grace and mercy and evangelism, um, seeking to help uh, Muslims come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they, that's a dangerous business, traveling even into northern Africa. And so they shared with us some of their prayer requests. Now, I want you to think, if those bombs had gone off, if those machine guns had gone off 23 miles from here, what would you be telling other people to pray for you about? Now, just think about what would be on your mind of what to pray for. Because this, this is what this family then sent us and asked us to be in prayer 
for. So if you take notes on anything, take notes on this so you can pray for this family. Even after I get the name, that's okay. God knows. This is their, their prayer. One, wisdom for how and what to share about the attacks with our younger children. Pray for wisdom for all four of our children as they interact with Muslim friends. Most of the class of our younger children are Muslim. Pray for opportunities to express Christ's love and peace with those around us, in particular with our Muslim neighbor and friends. This is going to be a scandalous grace prayer, isn't it? And pray that God would draw large numbers of Muslims to come to saving knowledge of Christ. And then he shared with us a great quote from a guy named Forbes Robinson. To influence you must love and to love you must pray. To influence you must love and to love you must pray. I think these folks have been reading the Bible. Because this prayer sounds an awful lot like the church in Acts, who was in an age of terror, all kind of opposition against them. And they didn't pray for, hey, get us the best airplane price to get us out of here. They did not pray for safety as their first list. They, they, they did not pray out of fear. They're praying out of a scandalous grace saying, hey, pray that God would help us know how to use this horrific evil to be able to share Christ with the very people who are doing this. With their family. That's a scandalous grace of prayer, of faith. That we have to, to follow. Man, isn't it a privilege for us to be in connection with people who are following Jesus and have been placed in places just like that at a time like this? Isn't it a privilege for us to connect to them and learn from them and be challenged by them? That's to, to pray, God, we can only influence by love and we can only love if you do it through us. And this is the way of Jesus. It is not the way of the world. Our human tendency in this is fight or flight. Not to pray. To live in the scandalous grace in a world of terror. First and foremost, we've got to go to our knees. We've got to be connected to the one who is love and grace. All right, the second thing that, that then he tells us. Now, after you pray, now, this is it. The, after you get up from uh, praying, this is what you do. You extend love to one another. Above all, make it a constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. He's, pre- he's saying, now you, church, you followers of Jesus, the first thing you must be sure you do in an age of terror, after you've sought the heart of the love of God, you've got to love each other. You've got to be sure nothing gets in the way. No fissure, no division, nothing that breaks you up because you're in a huge task 
when you go into that world. And you've got to do it together. So you've got to be unified in Jesus no matter your differences. You've got, and it's not just this nice little love of holding one another and hugging each other and shaking each other's hands and that kind of stuff. That's not the kind of love he's talking about. This is an, a constant love. You've got to maintain. You've got to work at this because it's that love that covers a multitude of sins and the sins are the ones that we do to one another. Yeah, I remember one time, Kathy and I, we lost one of our children, you know, in the mall, you know. And so fear and terror, you know, right through your mind, you know, every for five seconds, they've been kidnapped and they're now, you know, somewhere in uh, the Netherlands or something, you know. You know, your mind goes crazy, you know, that five seconds. And, and then you, and we looked at one another and we're like, I thought you were supposed to walk. I thought you were supposed to. And we're starting to argue with each other. Well, you never do this like you're supposed to. And we can look at each other. This is stupid. Our kid's lost, and we're arguing with each other in the middle of the mall. Let's go find the child. You know, our enemy is the devil, not ISIS or ISIL nor Daesh. Our enemy is not the Republicans, if you're a Democrat, or the Democrat, if you're Republicans. It is not that. Our enemy is not of flesh and blood. Our enemy is the evil one. And I'm sure he's excited as can be if we're fighting with one another. Or even more so if we are sinning by making something more important than Jesus. We're, we're, we're making our own commitments, our own preferences, our own political... And we're about to, you know, we're, it's full swing, right? We're in a political year now. And if, I don't care if it's on Facebook or Twitter or Yik Yak or whatever it is, stop the mess of promoting something more that causes division by our Facebook posts around political things if we're in the church. I don't even hardly get on Facebook, and yet I hit a nerve on that one. It just takes a little bit. And knowing it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Maybe that's our little age of terror, political campaigns. But it is a sin if something is more important than Jesus. And if we both say we love Jesus, then it is incumbent upon us to love one another. We can disagree, but we can do so in a way recognizing that is secondary to following after Jesus in an age of terror. That's why we pray regularly. Jesus, we, gotta, we want to be connected in you no matter our differences. We don't, I don't, we don't want to be the same. We want to be different. It's part of the beauty of being a multicultural church is it makes it... Man, there's nothing that unites us all together except Jesus. Nothing else does. Believe me, I've talked to enough of you. I mean, you don't all like the same anything except Jesus. And it's only God that makes that happen. That, that's why we pray that. You know, and and it, that love is what covers multiple. It's not like we're going to get along and be nice to each other. We could be jerks to each other. We can be downright mean. But it's that love that covers a multitude of sins. Just like when Kathy and I did find the, you know, the child. You know? We found the child. We were yelling and screaming at each other and anger at each other. We found the child. Then boom. And man, we're, then we're just hugging and laughing. And don't do that again. Oh, we love you. We're so glad you're here. I love you, honey. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, you know how that goes. I love 
covers a multitude of sins, but it is a work empowered by the Spirit that we love one another in an age of terror because the devil wants to divide us. And fear will do that. Fear will cause divisions in even the strongest of relationships if that's leading us instead of grace. Instead of what we were just singing about. A grace that even hell will not defeat. All right, the, the third thing that, then that, he, that he says is then to be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. I just, I love that. I just, I wish I'd been there. What was going on? What, what kind of complaints were going on when people, when they were hospitable with one another? What stories had Peter heard? I'm just, you know, just wondering that, that it, they need to be hospitable, they need to care for one another. Um, the word hospitable is a great, one of my favorite words. It, it combines two words that maybe you're, you're familiar with that have some connection in English. The first one is philos. You know philos. That, that's like Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia is the same part of the beginning of Philadelphia, philos. And, it, you know, we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. Right, that's what philos is, brotherly love. It's that kind of love where, where we you know, love one another and you know, we're seeing together that, that we're kind and, and um, gentle with one another. That's phila. But xenos, xenos is, um, the, we see that in English in something like xenophobia, where you're scared of the stranger. That's what xenos. So you have love the strange one. That's what being hospitable means. Yeah, some of y'all are looking at each other and say, hey, you've got to love me now. <laughs> yeah. That's, love the one that is different. Love the one that is weird. Love the one that's different than you. That's what hospitable means. And, and when... That, that's not the way the world is. I mean, you know that. Especially in times of terror. Right? I mean, what happened, you know, after 9-11 is every person of Arab descent or look like they had olive skin was now prejudiced towards them. Or who are they? You know, it, it causes a fear for the one who is different. Not a grace to the one who is different. Not hospitable to the one who is different. An age of terror will feed that fear of the one who is different. Now don't get me wrong. The things that are done are evil. They are despicable. And they need to, to be addressed in the, in the right and appropriate manner. But we as a follower... I, but to be quite honest, I am much more concerned with the church following after Jesus in an age of terror than I am about pursuing that justice. Because what I want is the kingdom of God to be lived out in the church. That's the call of the biblical call to the church. So our, our primary focus must be on being sure we live according to this kind of scandalous grace.
This summer, um, I had the opportunity of uh, meeting, um, well, I was in Chicago for uh, uh, classwork, and I was there to, uh, uh, we, we were um, meeting with different people in the city, and we went to the Japanese American uh, Center and Museum in, uh, in Chicago, and, and there met with, uh, um, let me be sure, Tichio Maeda. And Miss Mayeda um, was in her late 80s, uh, early 90s, Japanese-American. Uh, she was third-generation Japanese-American. Her, great, her grandfather had come to the States, settled in Southern California, started a business, um, a shipbuilding business. Her, her father had taken it over, and Miss Mayeda was now a teenager living um, with, with her family and doing that uh, um, shipbuilding business together. It was very lucrative and, and doing well. Um, and this was in the 1940s. Well, World War II happened in the 1940s. The bombing of Pearl Harbor happened in the 1940s. And our nation decided at some point that we needed to gather up the Japanese Americans and move them from their home to a safer place. Safer for us, that is. Not for them. It was about 120,000. Japanese Americans that were then taken to internment camps. And on a Sunday evening, um, the Mayeda family um, got word from the authorities that oh, you've got 48 hours and we're going to put you on a train. And the train will take you to Arizona and you'll live there um, for a while. And so they took those two days, they packed up what they could and what they could carry, that was it. And then they left um, and they never saw anything else from their home again, or from their business, or um, anything that they left there. So they went to the internment camp, and there they stayed. And Miss Mayeda, she uh, um, eventually, she was a teenager, they finished up high school, and eventually she got to leave uh, two, I think it was two and a half years later, uh, to go to college. And her rest of her family stayed for another two years, and eventually they reunited in Chicago. I don't think they ever got back even to where, um, to Southern California again. That's what can happen when fear overtakes us for the ones who are different. That's not who we are called to be. I mean, being people of grace even is risky business. And it's because grace is, has conquered death and sin, Literally. So we, we are called to reach out and to love the strange one. When we finished um, meeting together with, with Miss Maeda, we then, uh, um, she said, all right, so you guys are students, you know, you're in the seminary. Yes, ma'am, we're doing uh, doctoral work and urban ministry. And, um, and she goes, oh, well, that, that's great. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a Southern Baptist. Okay, that's a curveball. Um, wasn't expecting that, talking about prejudging. Um, I had not thought that she was, I, I was not open to her being a Southern Baptist. And she's, oh yeah, I've been almost my whole life. Tell us that story. <laughs> well, when we were taken from our home and put on a train and went to Arizona, the only people that cared for us were the Southern Baptists. 
They invited us into their homes. They fed us meals. They showed us around. They cared for us and loved us, sent us off to college, cared for us while we were there. So we decided we want to be a part of a group like that. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful and wonderful that you can get a, a group of people that, are, that have their theology wrong in a lot of ways, but they love Jesus? Uh-huh. They love Jesus, and His grace is so scandalous, it fights through all of our wrong theology. That, that's the scandalous grace of Jesus that we want to be known for in times of terror. The, the final um, part that he says, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In one way, you know, it's sort of like... Um, Painting on a white canvas with uh, you know, a deep, dark black. It, the contrast is obvious. In, in a world characterized by terror and fear, if there are a people who are so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God that they are living according to grace, the contrast is obvious. And so Peter was calling the church then, listen, you are stewards of this multicolored, that's what manifold means, this multicolored grace. You're stewards of this grace. It is something that has been given to you that you now deliver to others, that you pass on. Now, every one of you have, have the general grace of salvation in Christ, the assurance of salvation, knowing that you are with God today, tomorrow, every day, no matter what happens, that there is nothing that separates you from the love of God, that your identity is secure, your value is complete, because it is based not on you but on Jesus. We all have that grace. And then each of us are given particular gifts and abilities to use so as to demonstrate God's glory wherever we go, whether it's to drive a car, fix a meal, teach a lesson, whether it's to, 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 to share a truth or to paint a picture. Everyone has been given particular gifts. You know, the word gift and grace are the same root word in Greek. You have been given gifts so that you will be stewards of this grace, managers of this grace, delivering it to others. Thomas Merton says, we are midwives of grace. I love that picture. We're midwives of grace. You know, God's the one that gives birth to grace. We just catch it, we hold it, and we deliver it to others. God's the one that does the work. And so when you go out, you go out as a midwife of grace. What God has done. So that when we go out, and we, when we see ourselves in that way, then we get to be the multicolored grace of God, deliverers of that to others. 
And God is glorified. His power is lived through us. Because as I said over and over, it just doesn't happen unless God does it. So as midwives of grace, let us be sober-minded, disciplined in our prayer life, in our connection to God. Let's in, in every way work to love one another over the multitude of our sins so that we'll be united in our battle against the real enemy. So that we will be lovers of the one who are strange, who are different than us. Stewards, midwives of this marvelous grace, scandalous grace of God. And in that way, God is glorified for all of eternity. Let's pray.